Welcome to the Dream Mason Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. A Dream Mason is a person who's brave enough to declare they have a dream and committed enough to do the work to build it. I know we all have a Dream Mason inside of us, and my dream for this podcast is to support all of us by giving us a glimpse inside the hearts and minds of leaders, creators, and innovators to help us unleash our inner Dream Mason. Because your dreams don't build themselves. Welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. And before we get started today, I want to thank everyone who has been listening. This is episode number 17. And the Dream Mason podcast has been live for about two months. And I am excited to share that we've had over a thousand downloads. I'm having more fun with this project than almost any project I've ever worked on. And that's thanks to you guys. I'm grateful to all of you who have listened, whether you've listened to five minutes, every minute, one podcast, or all 17 of them. I'm grateful to all of you who have texted, messaged, emailed me feedback, thoughts, shared what you got, or just wanted to say you like something. Recently, I got an email from someone who asked for a podcast in which I shared a little more of me, a podcast that I didn't have a guest, Dream Mason, visiting me, or co-host of some sort. At first, I was a little confronted, challenged, and thought, who wants to listen to me for 30 minutes? That's funny, right? Because that's exactly what the person requested. So just as I would with a client, a friend, a family member who were confronted, scared, or challenged by something, I encouraged myself to step into this discomfort and take on this challenge and fulfill on the request. So this is my first attempt at a podcast alone. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you continue to listen to the Dream Mason podcast, create value for yourself, share the podcast with others, and please keep sharing your thoughts with me. Your brain, the unknown obstacle, why good coaching, therapy, and personal development works. Now, please remember, I'm a Dream Mason, I'm a coach, I'm a personal development junkie, but I'm not a doctor, not at least in the Western sense of the word. I'm going to share with you what I have learned. And please, feel free to do your own research. If what I share does not work for you, or you don't like it, or you don't want it, feel free to go learn more. Do your own research and see what you get for yourself. We like to think of our brains as smart, logical machines that support us in creating, thinking, and functioning and living our lives. Yes, our brains do all that. Our brains are absolutely badass, powerful muscles that use an extraordinary amount of our energy to run our body's systems and functions. It makes speech possible, enables us to make decisions, assess risk, interpret the signals that our senses and our nervous system receive, as well as as many other important functions. However, our brains can also be our greatest enemy. Sounds crazy, right? How could that be possible. I mean, my brain is creating this podcast right now. It came up with the idea, it curated the speech and the content, and it's making me make sense, if I'm making sense, I suppose. So how could it be that our brains could be working against us? So let's talk science and the way the brain evolved. We like science, right? And if you are listening to this podcast, my guess is you also believe in evolution, which is very important when it comes to the brain. If you don't believe in evolution, well, I wish you luck. Global warming is real also, just saying. I digress. So let's talk about the brain and evolution and see how we got here. 
Now, I'm not a doctor or a scientist, but what I've learned from one of the leading minds in psychology and neuroscience, Dr. Rick Hansen, is the human brain essentially evolved in three stages. First came the reptilian brain. Yes, a lizard brain. When you think of lizards, what do you think of? They're either pretty still, like hovered on a piece of concrete or a rock, or they're frantic. Why? Because the reptilian brain, brainstem, cerebellum, or the hypothalamus, are responsible for avoiding hazards and staying alive. So think about a lizard. Survival is the number one priority. If a lizard isn't on guard, it's not going to make it through one day. It is a reactive and reflexive brain. Our brains evolved to the mammalian stage next. This is our limbic system and our early cortex. These areas handle things like memory, emotion, and social behaviors. It has us approach and seek out rewards. Now think about a mouse. It can easily drop into its reptilian brain and get frantic, but it's also seeking, curious, and really cute. Well, I suppose if it's not in your house, right? But like a little pet mouse could be really cute. The third evolution of the brain is the human brain, which is a massive cerebral cortex. This enables abstract thought, language, cooperative planning, and empathy. This brain has us get attached to things and to each other. Now, just like if we were building a house, we start with the first story. Now, that's our reptilian brain. Then we built the second story, the mammalian brain. And then we constructed the third story on top of the first two, our human brain. Now, the thing is, we don't just lose or drop the first two floors because we built an awesome third floor. Like, nobody would do that, right? That'd be crazy. Everything would just fall down. So they're still there. And they're still powerful. Very powerful. And they're still functioning. And they don't really realize that we're not lizards or mice anymore. Reptiles are concerned with survival. They are hyper-focused on threats. Because if they're not, they won't live another day. Now think about your life. When you're anxious, worried, scared, can't stop thinking about a person, situation, or the future. That is your reptilian brain. It is trying to assess risk. But what it doesn't realize for most of us is, especially for those of you that are listening to this podcast, because my assertion is that if you're listening to this podcast, your lives aren't in real danger or death on a regular basis. So the reptilian brain isn't actually serving you. It's actually just driving you mad. The reptilian brain is hyperactive in some of us, and it just isn't helping us. Now that if we, if we lived in a very dangerous part of the world, maybe a war-torn region, maybe being hypervigilant and having that part of the brain work as it does might really serve us. But if you're listening to this podcast on your super-duper smartphone, on Bluetooth, with a full belly or flat stomach because you love SoulCycle or yoga or your gym, this part of the brain is literally not helping you. It is running the show most of the time, stressing us out often, having us worry about a lot, and not function to be our best selves. Our mammalian brain helps us with goals. That's pretty cool. It can help us remember things that felt good. And it can learn. And because we like how things feel, it can encourage us to do those things again. So for instance, you can use rewards for things that motivate you and make you feel good to support you in accomplishing tasks or goals in the future. Basically, you can create a memory association between a goal and a reward, especially things that feel good. Think of a mouse like seeking out cheese. It's looking for something that it knows makes it feel good. We as a species have been using the reptilian brain the longest. It was the first to evolve. It's been there for millions and millions and millions of years. 
It's the deepest, most dug in part of the brain. And that matters a lot. That's why it's so powerful. That's why it's so prevalent and impacts our lives so, so much. Think about it this way. If from the time you were born, you started doing sit-ups. Yes, that's crazy, right? A baby doing sit-ups, but stick with me. And imagine this magical baby who does sit-ups all the time and has these perfect abs is now grown up and now has never exercised another muscle in their body. But they did sit-ups for 40 years. Now at 40, this majestic grown-up with perfect abs, but has no arm strength, no shoulder strength, no back strength, no leg strength. At 40, they realize this is crazy. That to function in a way that they need to as an adult in this world, they need other parts of their muscles and their bodies to work. And that having these perfect abs and just these perfect abs isn't really serving them. Now, even though this isn't normal, it would be still be extremely uncomfortable to change. They've spent so much time working on those muscles, it would be difficult for them to train all the other muscles. When they tried, they would get sore, it would be uncomfortable. They would always want to go back to just doing the easy, comfortable, and feel-good thing, which is the abs. That's our brain. But instead of 40 years, it's millions and millions and millions of years that we've been working it out. The reptilian brain got us here. It's kept us alive for so long, and it's not just going to check out now. Unfortunately, the rest of our brain just hasn't had as much time to evolve. Consider it's here because of survival. So you might be saying, but my life is never in real danger, and yet my reptilian brain is crazy. It's anxious, and it's like there's a Tasmanian devil in my head. Why hasn't this changed? So as early humans, abandonment and rejection would have been seen as death because human beings could not survive in a world alone. Now, we in the present-day modern world could pretty much survive a lot better alone. But early humans could not have survived out in the wilderness, out alone, all by themselves. So when you're worried about a potential job, someone loving or not loving you, what people think of you, it comes down to being accepted by others, which our reptilian brain sees as survival. Our reptilian brain is also always looking for what's wrong or what might go wrong. And since your basic needs of survival and safety are met, it doesn't just go into sleep mode. It's got to find something to do. So it's looking everywhere for anything that could be interpreted as a problem. Now this leads me to what's actually happening inside of us and how we can shift it. But before we get there, you first have to understand the concept of the negative brain bias. So first... This does not mean you're negative, and it doesn't mean that you're going to automatically be negative. What the negative brain bias means is that the brain is looking for things that can negatively impact us or affect us more than it is looking for positive things. Why? Also because of the reptilian brain. If the reptilian brain was looking for positive things, it wouldn't have lived a day. The brain understood it could take go a few days without positive things. But if it made a mistake and missed one negative thing, squish, or maybe it's dinner. Dr. Rick Hansen describes it like this. In evolutionary history, threats usually had more impact on survival opportunities. Sticks are more salient than carrots. So the amygdala is primed to label experiences negatively. The amygdala hippocampus systems flag negative experiences primarily in memory. So the brain becomes like Velcro for negative experiences, but Teflon for positive ones. 
Consequently, the avoid system routinely hijacks the approach and attach systems, and bad is just stronger than good. Unquote. So Dr. Rick Hansen says it takes roughly five positive experiences to undo a negative one. Yes, five to one. The odds are not on our side. Hence why the work we do with coaches, therapists, and in personal development are so important and powerful because it aims to change this ratio through practices and mindfulness. And this explains why you will do more to avoid a loss than get a gain. And it's why it's so easy to create learned helplessness, but so hard to undo it. Think about how we worry about all the things that could go wrong, but we spend so little time pondering all the things that could go right or things that could go better than expected. When was the last time you spent all day unable to focus thinking about all the amazing possibilities that you could create or that could happen? (laughs) That just doesn't happen. But there are plenty of days you can't get something you're worried about out of your head. Plenty of nights you can't sleep because something is running amok. Hours that pass making up a reason why your boss sent you that email or why that person you like isn't calling you back or worried about what predicting what might happen in the future with an assortment of events from your kids to your jobs to the car breaking down. So now you know why your brain behaves the way that it does. So now what? How does the work of therapy, coaching, personal development, and the tools presented like mindfulness, insights, breakthroughs, and reflections make something new possible? Think of our minds like any other muscle again in our bodies. But let's forget about the sit-up baby machine with abs and make it way simpler. Our brain is full of neurons and synapses, which are responsible for the memory and the core component of our nervous system in general. Now let's think of the brain like a bicep. Every time you make a mistake and say something like, ugh, I'm so stupid, the brain unfortunately doesn't understand sarcasm. And so it's like lifting a weight and strengthening the bicep that represents the belief, I'm so stupid, I'm so fat, I'm not good enough, not smart enough, or whatever. Over time, that bicep gets really, really strong. Basically, each time you say it, you're sending a signal through those synapses that hold that memory and our belief strengthening that muscle or that story. Now, because of perception and logic, our brains process information. What that means is when we get information that proves a belief, we use that as evidence that the belief we have is true. And if we get information that doesn't support our beliefs, we dismiss it. The Velcro and the Teflon, exactly why this works so seamlessly. Now let's say one day you realize you have the story running through your mind, subconsciously, that you're stupid or not smart, and that you get present to the story and you realize it's actually not serving you. And trust me, we all have stories. Lots of them. Think about your stories. You talk about them like they're facts, that they're true. But plain and simply, they're stories, they're perceptions, they're beliefs, and they're judgments. Don't believe me? Consider some of the stories I hear most. I'm bad, I'm stupid, I'm not worthy, I'm ugly, I'm not good enough, I'm a disappointment, I'm bad, people won't like me if, it's somebody else's fault, if only someone else would do this or that. I could go on and on. But with each one of those, I like to say in relation to who? Who are you fat or stupid or not good enough or not worthy compared to? Who created the bar? Who created the expectations or the standards? These are judgments and opinions, not facts. The fact is we are on earth, that fish live in water, 
I'm stupid or not good enough or ugly is a judgment, an assessment, a story, or an opinion. If you aren't with me here, hit me up. I'll give you a free coaching session. In mindfulness, you practice becoming aware of the thoughts, stories, default patterns, behaviors, and ideas that run through our minds without us choosing them. So you realize you have this pervading, disempowering story up in your space and you want to break it up because it's not supporting you to be the person you want to be or create the life you want to create. Coaching therapy and personal development support us in getting present to these stories. They are structures that help us create practices to break them up and create new empowered stories. How? So imagine you have this block of concrete in your mind. That concrete block is the story that you created and it poured a long time ago. When I say a long time ago, I mean you started creating these stories about yourself and life when you were a very small child, before you had the intelligence and cognitive ability to really understand the world. You started making meaning out of everything. And as you grew older, you kept at it, looking for evidence to support the story you created about your life, others, and the world. And now as an adult, you see these are made-up stories, and they're not serving you anymore. So now you see it. You're aware of it. This is awesome. This is the first step of having it shift. The thing is, you'll never get 100% rid of these beliefs. But what if we could take so much power back from it and get that story so disempowered that we essentially chiseled that negative cement block into our own personal David? Here are five ways we can change that disempowering story and start crafting a new one. First, we can start by being more mindful, identifying the story, simply noticing when it shows up, what is the story? Get really clear that it's a story and what it's telling you. Now, when it shows up, just notice it. Get comfortable noticing how often it's appearing in your life. After we have become super comfortable spotting it, we can start affirming that it's not real that it's just a story and not the truth every time it shows up. Another thing we can do is start having compassion for ourselves. Start practicing being kind to ourselves. Start asking ourselves if a child messed up the way we did or didn't execute the way we, we wanted to, would we treat the child the way we just treated ourselves? So now we're actually practicing being nice to ourselves, something that so few of us are. Consider whipping yourself isn't working. And when I say whipping, I mean beating yourself up when you're not doing it to the level at which you want to succeed or do things at or performing at. Think about how crazy that is. We mess up so we beat ourselves up over it. It's like saying when someone's mean to us, the solution is to be mean back. We don't change things by fighting or resorting to violence. We change things and shift things that aren't going well through love, through kindness, acceptance, understanding, compassion, and relationships. Violence begets violence. Anger begets anger. Being mean to something begets it being mean back to us. So yes, we have to do that with ourselves before we can do it with others. We have to fall in love with ourselves if we ever truly want to love others. And it starts with self-love and being kind to ourselves. Another thing we might take on is spending as much time as possible being with our wins, the positive things that happen and the things we feel good about. For instance, when we feel proud of ourselves or when we just got good feedback on something, 
we might practice sitting there for 15 to 30 seconds, just being with the positive feelings, emotions, sensations, and ideas. What I mean by that is sitting and holding what just happened in your mind and your body for 15 to 30 seconds. It's like you are doing reps with positivity to strengthen the muscles in your mind. The more time we spend with the positive, the stronger these stories and synapses become. And while we're spending more time on the positive, the old synapses aren't getting worked out. And what happens to muscles that don't get worked out? They start to atrophy. Another practice we might take on is self-nurture. When you're feeling stupid, fat, not good enough, not worthy, whatever is showing up for you, you might take a look at what, what is the story? What are you making these stories mean? For instance, when I'm feeling not good enough, I just feel like a disappointment, and that hurts, and it makes me sad. If I wanted to self-nurture, which I don't because I'd rather just suffer and not feel good and be sad, I'm obviously kidding. Uh, So to self-nurture, I might sit quietly. I might put my hand on my heart and say to myself that I love myself just the way I am. I might tell myself that I'm proud of myself for something that I'm genuinely proud of. I might tell myself I'm worthy, that I am loved, and I am love. I might even tell myself it's going to be okay. When I self-nurture, I think of it like if I had a child that came to me crying about something. Something that happened to them that they said they were told. Maybe somebody said something mean or something they thought about themselves. Maybe they felt rejected. But as a parent, I would nurture them. We wouldn't be mean to them. Now we can do that with ourselves. Lastly, meditation. Meditation over time will calm us down, improve brain function, support us in being more mindful, and give us more ability to stay calm and not flip when our reptilian brain wants to go bonkers. Now, I started this conversation basically saying your brain is your enemy. And while it is, it's actually only your enemy if you aren't paying attention to how it's running. It's like a fire in the forest. If the fire is contained and we are getting heat and warmth from it, it's a wonderful, powerful, supportive, and empowering thing. But if that fire gets out of control, it isn't contained, and it's operating without intention or focus, it can become really dangerous, disruptive, and cause a lot of damage. What I love about coaching therapy and personal development is it supports us in controlling that raging fire. And it takes that heat and that power and it puts it to great use. It supports us in generating and stepping into our full human potential. Consider we all have a disappointing story or belief. It doesn't matter how much money you make, how many people work for you, or how great you might be doing. What aren't you doing that you want to be doing? Where are you stopped or being held back? What habits and patterns do you have that aren't helping you live the best life possible? As humans, we all have the potential to grow, expand, and take ourselves to new heights. As a dream mason, as a coach, as someone who has a coach and does a ton of personal development, I can tell you these stories can be changed. They can shift, and we can not only shift who we're being in our lives, but we can shift our lives entirely in the stories within them. The thoughts, the behaviors, all the things that surround us kind of going into an autopilot, unmindful life, we can change those things and we can also change the way we feel about ourselves. I used to not love myself. I used to always feel disappointed in myself. I used to feel like I was never good enough and I used to feel like I would never be good enough. 
and that I would always let everyone down, including myself. I used to beat myself up for everything. I would set crazy high bars that couldn't be lived up to, and then I'd beat myself for not living up to them. I couldn't sit with my wins or any of the positive things I ever did for even more than like a minute or two. And I would always go back to not being enough or needing to accomplish the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. I don't feel this way anymore. And there's even more to go. We can always love ourselves more. We can always believe in ourselves more. We can always do the work to take power back from the reptilian brain. I encourage you to get mindful, to hire a coach, to work with a therapist, to take on personal development, to meditate, to do yoga, to practice being present and so many other things. But start now, right now. If you wait, you will likely find another reason to wait till tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after. Because the thing that's telling you to wait is the enemy that lives inside your skull, whose job it is to come up with the reasons why it might not be a good idea. Listen to your heart, chase the dream, and always choose love. You deserve to live an unreasonably great life, but it's up to you to create it. The best time to take action on a change or a decision is right when you've made it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Dream Mason podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and I would be so grateful if you shared this episode with three people you know. Thank you again for listening to the Dream Mason podcast. I'm Alex Terranova. If you want to reach out and connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at inspirationalalex, email me at alex at thedreammason.com, or visit my website, thedreammason.com. And remember, you are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.